I know I've mentioned countless times that our Sunday readings are on a three-year cycle, which means the Gospel of Luke we've been listening to, we hear every three years. The reason I mentioned that here this morning, because it occurred to me uh, this past week that approaching 10 years of priesthood means this is my third time now making my way through preaching on the Gospel of Luke. And for some reason, the last four, five, six weeks, these different parables we've been hearing have really been, in my own mind, in my own heart, uh, heard or read with a certain freshness or newness that I've really appreciated. So what I want to do here this, this morning is nothing fancy by any means, but just good old-fashioned breaking open the Word of God and looking at another wonderful parable we're given to us from our Lord from the Gospel of Luke. Now, there's almost some, some comedy in what's going on here today. Uh, some of you might have been chuckling to yourselves as uh, Deacon was proclaiming the gospel because there is a lot of almost uh, humor if you listen close enough to what Jesus is saying. But first I want to point out this. It's always helpful when the gospel, and this, the evangelist, in this case Luke, tells us beforehand what this parable is about. This happened last week, and now it happens again this morning. So Jesus addressed this parable to those, okay, so these are those that this parable is intended for, to those who are convinced of their own righteousness and despise everyone else. Now, most of us should be saying right now, oh, this is for me, right? Now, you might be saying, and I might be saying, well, I'm not convinced of my own righteousness. But in fact, many of us are, because what that means is, where does holiness come from? Where does goodness come from? Where does being in relationship with God come from? Does it come from self? Or does it come from God? So self-righteousness is something that Jesus wants to crush in all of us, in me, in you, in every heart, and that's what he's trying to do in this parable. He's trying to crush any sense of self-righteousness that you and I might have, as challenging as that may be. And secondly, he says this parable is for those who despise everyone else. Okay? Watch the news, and all the news is about is despising everyone else. This is very prevalent in our own common parlance, our own common way of thinking, that we have a tendency of pointing the finger, saying it's everyone else's fault, and I'm despising everyone else. So I think this parable, I don't know about you, but I know it's for me. So that's the first thing. Secondly, we're told that two people went up the temple to pray. How many? Two. Luke loves to set apart two extremes. Right? So remember about six weeks ago, we had the parable of the prodigal son. How many sons were there? A father had two sons. Right? The wasteful son and the faithful son. Last weekend, we had two extremes. Right? We had the dishonest judge and we had the persistent widow. Two extremes. A rich, wealthy man and a poor, broken widow. So Luke loves using these extremes to paint a picture that he's trying, that Jesus is trying to get into our minds. So what are the two extremes this morning? A Pharisee and a tax collector. You can't get further apart than these two Jewish characters, these two Jewish uh, individuals. So first, a note about the Pharisee. Before I say anything else about the Pharisee, what is a Pharisee? A Pharisee is a Jewish leader. They're scholars of the law. 
So the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, all those, these guys were experts in Jewish law. They were experts in the scriptures, right? They're supposed to be the very epitome, the very example of faithfulness to the Jewish religion. That's what these guys are supposed to be. And we're told that the Pharisee spoke this prayer to whom? To himself. Now that should key us off for a moment that, oh, there's something wrong here. Because last time I checked, when we pray, we don't pray to ourselves, we pray to the Lord. That he is the one that receives our prayer. He is the one to whom prayer is directed. And I think oftentimes in our own prayer, we just keep on turning inward and inward and inward. But no, prayer is not directed inward. Prayer is directed to the Lord. And we're told that the Pharisee is just praying this to himself, which isn't even prayer. It's just self-thinking, self-talk. And we want to try to find a way to shift that and direct that to God. So that's the first thing that we kind of know is a little off in the Pharisee. But then listen to this so-called prayer that he says. Oh God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy and dishonest, and adulterous, or even like this tax collector. Thank you for not making me like the rest of fallen humanity, is what the Pharisee says. Again, there's some comical elements in that type of prayer. Then he goes on to say all the things he does for God, right? I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on my whole income. I go to Mass every Sunday. I go to confession, I do an hour of adoration, I tithe, I do works of charity. You get the point. So he's just listing everything he does for God rather than what God does for him. And then the contrast, the tax collector. Now, before I say anything about the tax collector, let me offer this perspective. The tax collectors were the lowest of the low, and here's why. Were the tax collectors Jews or non-Jews? They were Jews. But they weren't just any kind of Jews. They were Jews who sold out. To whom? To the Romans. To the enemy. To the occupant. These were Jews who were hired by the Romans to extort their own people. Right? Because the Romans had certain levels of taxes that they asked the Jewish people to pay. And what did the tax collectors do? What were they allowed to do according to Roman law? They could raise the taxes above whatever the Romans wanted, and whatever that gap was, whatever the excess was, guess who got to keep it? The tax collectors, right? The tax collectors got to keep it. In fact, in first century Judaism, tax collectors were so bad, you didn't even make jokes about them. You know how we make jokes about lawyers and politicians because it's kind of funny sometimes? You didn't even make t jokes about tax collectors because they were just that bad. Now, this tax collector, we're told, prays this prayer. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then the Lord says, which one of these two is just before God, meaning is in right relationship with God? Is it this perfect, prayerful religious Pharisee? Or is it this low-life tax collector? Jesus says, 
It's the low-life tax collector. Why? Because of the simple prayer. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's it. What does that tell us, everyone? That God can forgive greed, yes. That God can forgive dishonesty, yes. That God can forgive adultery, yes. But what is one reality where God is unable to forgive? Any place where we're unrepentant. That God cannot forgive an unrepentant heart. Why? Because we're giving him nothing to work with. Repentance gives God room to work. That's why this man was justified before God, because he showed repentance and recognized his own need for God, and that God is the one that makes him holy, not himself. Now, I like to use the image, or at least it came to my mind this week, that repentance, or asking for forgiveness, is like a little crack that allows mercy in. That when we say sorry and repent to God of our sins, it's like opening a crack that lets this tremendous light we call God to break in. The bigger the crack, the more the mercy, the more the light, the more the forgiveness. So what is the takeaway this weekend? I think to make sure that there's no self-righteousness in any of us, to make sure that we know that holiness is from God, and to make sure that wherever we need to repent, that that is where God wants to break in all the more fully into our lives.